Well, good evening. We get to have another wonderful passage from the great, great book of Ephesians. What a glorious epistle this is. Have you noticed that we've gotten to explore it several times um, throughout this summer in our epistle readings? Uh, I love reading St. Paul's epistles, and I love doing something that we almost never do, and I want to encourage you to do it if you feel like it when you go home. If you're ever wondering what in the world is this saying, one of the best things you can do is not necessarily to go looking for those verses that you might write in a card to someone. I often write verses from Ephesians in cards to people. Those prayers, those encouraging words at the beginning, all of those wonderful verses that maybe you memorized at summer camp or in Sunday school, those are great verses. But what I would encourage you to do is sit down and read the whole book from beginning to end. And you'll find so many more things. You'll find the big picture. You'll hear the good news told again to the Ephesians. And um, we're going to hear the good news told again to us tonight. Well, this part of the letter that we find ourselves in tonight, chapter 4 and the very first part of chapter 5, include very specific instructions. These very specific instructions or similar instructions are found in all of Paul's letters. And we can read them and think, okay, great, here's my checklist. Suddenly, all the imperatives are in one place. Just look there and do this, do this, do this, and you're all good, right? Um, that's exactly what you were looking for, a checklist, exactly, right? So, but no, in fact, these instructions, all of these imperatives are not meant to be um, characterizing how we can be near to God. They're not meant to show us what we can do to be in close proximity to God. They're not meant to justify us. Um, no, this is following our justification, following our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing what we know in him, standing on what he has done for us. All of these instructions are meant to be understood in light of the new reality of God's grace, which Paul in his letters at this point has already expounded theologically. And so Paul, at the beginning of chapter 4, um, talks about this image. There's this one image and theme that he's going to use all throughout this chapter and the next chapter. And it's this idea of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Putting off the old man, so to speak, Adam in his flesh, and putting on the new man, Jesus Christ, in his righteousness. Um, he uses this image just like clothes that we change. You know, you put the dirty clothes in the hamper and you put on a brand new set of clean new clothes. That is the idea that he has in mind. He doesn't have in mind um, this striving and this checklist of doing. Rather, he says, walk into what has been given to you. Walk into what has already been done for you. So in this one passage that we read tonight, we see a list. Paul here is going to list several of these old things, these things that characterize the old self, the old person. And he talks about how these old things, these negative things, can just spill out of our hearts because of their fleshliness. And yet there is hope. So we're going to go into that fleshliness for a little bit, but don't get discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Here are some of the attributes of the old self that Paul describes. If you have it in front of you, that will be helpful. In verse 25, he says, Having put away falsehood, which belongs to the old self, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. 
that part of the new self, is the part that will speak truth with his neighbor. Paul here is advocating for honest communication in your relationships, especially in your relationships within the body of Christ as a community in Christ. He's basically saying, let your insides match your outsides. There's a danger here with this um, one juxtaposition that we would look back at verse 15 and we would think about speaking the truth in love, which is one little phrase in scripture that often gets taken out of context out of the context of building up the body of Christ in all unity. And many Christians will use that speaking the truth in love as a way of justifying saying all sort and manner of really nasty things to other Christians. How many of you have ever had someone speak the truth in love to you and you go away wounded like someone had just brought, dropped a bomb? Um, even when there's a compliment sandwich. Oh, you look so great today. What in the world were you thinking? Oh, I think you'll do really well at the blah, blah, blah. Still, all you can see is the meat of the compliment sandwich. Um, there is a harsh honesty that seems to be advocated by a lot of Christians through this verse. about. Um, but it's very often put forward in our flesh still. This idea of um, arrogance, this arrogant attitude that says, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, but I just have to say it anyway. Those truths are not the truth that Paul is advocating for right here. Those truths end up wounding and doing more harm than good. Good. He's talking instead um, about the truth of honesty, about saying um, whether or not how you're doing, about saying whether or not you'd rather go here or go there and just being honest about what you want of being honest about how you're feeling, being honest about how you care for the other person, being honest when there's a real hurt. Um, and that moves us on to our next one. In verse 26 through 27, Paul says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Paul's not saying here, don't ever be angry. He's actually giving us permission He's showing us that anger is sometimes the right emotion in a given context. There is such a thing as righteous anger. But he's saying, don't let it fester. Don't let it take control of everything. Don't let it turn to resentment. There is um, the latest Pixar movie has come out. And I am pretty much a huge fan of just about every single Pixar movie. Wally was not my favorite. But all the other ones I love. Um, so you can you know, advocate for Wally later on if you'd like. But Inside Out, if you've seen it, it's, in the, it's still in the theaters and soon it'll be on DVD. Um, in Inside Out, these two, the Pixar creators wanted to depict um, five emotions, five of the six emotions that two um, psychologists had discovered there out in Berkeley, California, that they discovered appear. They did a scientific study where they went all across all sorts of different cultures and they tried to see what were the main facial expressions and emotions that would appear universally in people of all different cultures um, because there is some variation across cultures. And they found that fear, sadness, disgust, joy, and anger, as well as surprise, which doesn't appear in the film, um, registered universally as emotions that all human beings experience. 
And so they tried to understand what is going on and what's going on within the emotions. The story takes place within and outside of an 11-year-old girl who's just undergone a horrible life change, a move from the place where she grew up to another place that her parents have decided they need to live in. And so you see this 11-year-old girl dealing with change and loss. Um, and you see her grappling with her emotions on the inside. And my favorite of these personifications of emotions is anger. For some reason, anger looks like um, a great Muppet. It's like he's all red and square. He looks like he's fuzzy, just like the Muppets. Um, and whenever anger takes over, there are really funny things that are said. And also havoc is wreaked all throughout this little girl's life. You know, she gets told to go to her room by her parents. All of these different things happen. And I think, I'm not going to give away the end of the story, but one of my favorite um, aspects of the story is that they show this control room kind of in the inside of different human beings, especially with the main character, the 11-year-old girl. But they also show the parents' insides. Um, they also show other characters' insides. And towards the end of the movie, they show you what is inside, just these glimpses of um, not even characters, just people on the street. And the best is the bus driver driving in the midst of traffic. And inside his insides, his emotions, all he has are the little anger muppets. He doesn't have anyone else, just anger muppets. Um, and so I think of that. I think of the anger muppets taking control on the inside, how, um, how anger is a good thing, and yet when it drives everything in our life, when it's at the control seat inside of us, when it's taken over and all of the muppets inside are anger, um, then there are no other emotions at the control board, then um, we have taken anger and allowed it to control us, allowed it to um, take over, then truly sin has entered in, then the devil has gotten a foothold in our hearts and in our relationships by driving a wedge between us and other people through our anger, whether it's between us and our spouse or between you and your brother and sister in Christ. And so we see that anger is real. Anger can be a good and healthy thing, but what Paul is talking about is not allowing anger to take over. Okay, um, number three in verse 28 Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor honestly, giving to those in need. He's going from honesty in our speech to honesty in our actions. Honesty when it comes to how we work, um, when it comes to how we do our taxes, when it comes to whether or not we're working only when our boss is watching or all the time. Um, he's talking about that lying and that honesty in our work. Um, he's talking about how from the old man to the new man, from Adam to Christ, um, we can be transformed in Christ by his work in us from burglars to benefactors. Not just no longer stealing or taking what's not ours or letting things slide that maybe we should do, but rather giving generously out of the benefits that we've received, out of the work that we've done, um, giving to others and extending grace to them. So there's that little honesty in our deeds. Um, then he keeps going in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only speech that builds up and gives grace to others. He's talking about how sarcasm is actually not really a helpful thing sometimes. Sarcasm um, can very often be destructive. My parents, um, when they had four of us, they had four teens, um, two teens and two preteens around the same time. And you can imagine uh, what our household was like. And this phrase came out again and again and again. They would say to us, build up 
don't tear down. And of course, like mocking teenagers, that phrase got used against each other. Um, and so we'd say, oh yeah, you're tearing down. Build up, don't tear down. And it got to be really sarcastic. Um, we took that and mocked it. But it was, a good, it was a, good, um, a good rule to live by, and yet not one that we could, of course, live by on our own. So there is, in the, um, in the Apostle James, there's um, something that he says. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. That's a hard word because it's true of so many of us when we think about the words that we say. Verse 31 and 32, Paul goes on to say, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice be put away from you. All of those things from the old self, um, put them off. Take them off like old dirty rags. He's covering all the rest of his bases there, don't you think? Um, if he hadn't covered it already and all those things he already listed, now he's going around. Bitterness, wrath, anger, that clamoring striving, slander, the gossip when we speak ill of others behind their backs, the malice that takes root in our hearts. He's covering all of his bases when it comes to relationships and to speech. And what he's showing in this passage, all of it together, is something that might be hard for us to see and hard for us to believe. But what he's saying is that on the inside, all is not well. It is not the things around us that are going to defile us. It's not bad influences that make us do bad things or the thing that someone else said to us that makes us say something unhelpful to them. Rather, as Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 15, it is what comes out of the mouth. It is that which proceeds from the heart. And this thing, this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, not any external circumstances. Okay, ouch, sorry for all the bad news. That's the bad news, but there is good news in this passage as well, and we're about to get to it. But when I think of all of those things, when I look at that list, I don't know about you, but it's like about the same as when we summarize the law in our liturgy. I just think, Lord, have mercy on me. Because sometimes I know that that which is within me that's not good, that's coming out of my flesh, is something that I'm drumming up. When I go to Cape Cod, I often talk about Cape Cod, and those of you who might know me or hear me preach know that um, we have some family that live there, and the family that live there, trust me, they don't live on, a state, on an estate. There is um, no plumbing and no electricity, and so we have to pump our own well water. And I remember doing that as a child, pumping well water for my sister to drink, pumping well water for someone else to drink. Sometimes that which is in us is something that we're glad to drum up and bring out and expose. Um, all of that darkness, we um, very often are glad to let it fester and bring it on up. But sometimes it's also passive. Sometimes it just leaches out from us. And we see it and we think, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I think of oil, dark oil, sticky, 
uh, destructive substance just coming out of the ground sometimes, or of those oil pumps that you see out in Texas, those wells where the oil's just being pumped passively. You drive by and no one's there monitoring it. There, hopefully there is someone there monitoring it, but it looks like it's just going on. There it is, going on. Those are those things we say and do we just aren't even aware of sometimes. Other people might be aware of it, um, but we are not. It can just spew out of us. Um, or it can leak out on autopilot. So all of that, that negativity, that sin, that negative speech, that negative thoughts, those negative actions, well, how in the world do we stop? Where is the hope and the freedom? Well, I'm going to tell you a couple things where it's not. I remember I went to a good Christian college, and I'll never forget, there was a very nice boy there who had um, a big rubber band around his wrist. And I thought it was just one of those, like, live strong bracelets or something like that. But as it turned out, um, I watched him snap it once against his wrist. He would just pull it and let it snap against his wrist. I actually witnessed that once and I didn't want to ask him what was going on. So I asked another one of my friends and I was like, what, why is he snapping his wrist all the time? And she said, oh, don't you know? It's because he's thinking something negative. He's being tempted by something. And so if he snaps his wrist, it's a negative reinforcement, and he'll stop doing it if he snaps his wrist. I was so shocked. I wasn't shocked that he was having negative thoughts or he was being tempted by something. I was shocked that he thought that by snapping his wrist, by punishing himself in some kind of small way, he could stop. Even then, I knew somehow that would not work. I, I just knew that would not work. So negative reinforcement. Do we um, punish ourselves or chastise ourselves when we see that we've done, again, something sinful, something hurtful for, to someone else? No, it's not going to help. All of the self-flagellation in the world won't make us stop. Instead, do we try to muzzle ourselves? Do we just put a cork in it? It'd be like putting a cork in a leak in the Hoover Dam it's just a matter of time before the pressure inside builds up and explodes out. I think of the anger um, exploding out or something else, some of those other um, dark things within us just exploding out um, in, in en masse, as they say in the French. No, that won't work. Muzzling ourselves and just not engaging in life at all, retreating, that won't work either. Or a third thing, do we focus on the positive? Uh, and I can just hear someone saying, well, Deborah, you've been so negative. Can't you just focus on the positive? I've heard a lot of sermons that focus on the positive without having real grounds to do it. Um, there is, uh, I, I've had the opportunity to take part in a lot of wonderful events, especially this summer. I got to go down to Camp McDowell, which is our diocesan camp, to go and lead a camp for third and fourth graders. And one of the songs that the music director and all of the, all of the youth really enjoy singing is a song that says, it goes like this. Let the work that I've done speak for me. And then it says it over and over again. Let the work that I've done, what a great thing. Let the work that I've done speak for me. As if I could ever outweigh the gossiping words that I've said with more kind words as if my good deeds could somehow outweigh the destruction wrought by my bad deeds. No, that won't make it stop either. We can't negatively reinforce 
our negative actions. We can't muzzle ourselves and retreat, nor can we focus on the positive. None of these are the solution to our sin. Paul gives us the only solution, and it is a passive one on our part and an active one on God's part. He says in verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, as God in Christ forgave you. The word that he uses for kindness is krestos, just one letter different from Christos, Christ. He is, by one letter different, he is saying, no, don't be nice. He's saying, be Christ, and you can't be, but he has been for you. God has loved us in Jesus Christ. God has been righteous for us in Jesus Christ, and his righteousness stands for us. And as his grace, is imparted to us as we lean back on those everlasting arms as we stand on the forgiveness that christ has wrought in us then christ the word of god is spoken over us god speaks over us forgiveness and love and mercy even when there's still dark oil spilling out of us he forgives us again and again once at the beginning at our first time of repenting and converting and again and again as we repent and turn from the evil that spills out of us and the word made flesh himself he stands for us and not our work but his work on the cross speaks for us so we can trust god's work for us in the past event of our justification and we can trust god's work for us and miraculously Despite, our, despite ourselves in us today. And we understand this based on Jesus' promise in John chapter 7. Jesus there at the great feast in Jerusalem cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water because of Jesus, because of the word of grace spoken over us from outside of us. We who believe are also filled with the Holy Spirit, God's own spirit in the very depths of our being. And through the Holy Spirit, God continues his work in us. Miraculous streams of fresh water spring up within us and flow out of us, not just the oil and instead of the oil, very often, and by the end, only water will flow out of us. By the time Jesus returns, he, uh, our sanctification is complete in him, even as our justification is already. We are righteous in him, and we can lean back and trust this. We can trust that our lives, as we lean back and trust on God's grace, are going to be characterized by his grace. Um, even as we've been rooted and grounded in his grace, then miraculously, grace will flow out from us towards other people. And so that offertory sentence that we say so often, we can say again, we can walk in love as Christ loved us because Christ loved, uh, loved us. And God's love will change us despite ourselves. And so we don't have to worry about it. We can give it up to him. Thanks be to God.